Well, I heard you. Shaw Jerry Adams Arish. August Morris Gra. Arish Tatsula Gumsa. Gubil Shibsha. Gulyar. Gumoy. So, as you'll know from uh, last week's podcast, and as part of my reflections on the Good Friday Agreement, I've asked comrades who were part of that process as part of the Sinn Féin team to give us their memories and reflections of that period. So last week it was Barbara de Bruin, we're mugged, Barbara, and this week it's Jerry Kelly. So Lana Rai, Goroid. Um, I suppose you should start off by the fact that it was released from prison in 1989. And after serving a total of 16 years in various jails and jurisdictions, I joined Sinn Féin on release and was soon after part of the discussions that were going on at the time in pursuit of a peaceful way forward. There was an intermittent line of uh, communications between Sinn Féin and the British government, which had existed over many years, and this had become active again at this time in the early 90s. My first step into negotiations was when I was asked to accompany Martin McGuinness to an exploratory meeting with the British government representative, and that was on March the 23rd, 1993. During this exchange, the British representative started, stated amongst other things, the final solution is union, and it's going to happen anyway. Unionists will have to change. This island will be as one. To me, it was a meeting of considerable significance, but I wasn't thinking of it at the time as a seminal moment, though in hindsight, I believe it was. After discussion, the leadership view was to engage, but to engage cautiously, as our historical experience with the perfidious Albion, if I can say, that was not encouraging. If there was to be a negotiation, then there had to be a public manifestation of this, and that it had to include all the protagonists involved. The IRA declared a cessation of military activity in August the 31st, 1994, and that was their contribution really to create a, a peaceful atmosphere for talks to take place. A few months later, in December 1994, Martin McGuinness led myself, Lucy de Brainock, Siobhan O'Hanlon, Sean McManus, and Sean McManus into Stormont to face the permanent undersecretary in the NIO, who was called uh, Quentin Thomas. Fairly quickly, we suspected that the British were using the meetings to slow things down. Presumably, this was because the British Prime Minister, John Major, depended on Unionist votes to remain in power, and Unionism was against talks with Republican. However, uh, when Labour came to power with a huge majority, under Tony Blair in May 1997, things changed and changed very rapidly. The negotiations which led to the Good Friday Agreement really began then, I think. Ironically, the exact same civil servants, this always stuck with me, who sat across the table in 1994, Philip Buster, now began to engage on the real issues at stake. Unionists led by David Trimble stubbornly refused to talk directly to Sinn Féin. This was throughout the negotiations. And the epitome of this has probably manifested itself when all the parties were invited to South Africa actually to allow for relationship building away from the public eye. The unionists refused to travel on the same transport as Sinn Féin, so they were all piled onto a military Hercules jet, which was pretty cold, while we were given a small uh, but very comfortable executive jet for the same journey. 
This, uh, ironically, continued when a picnic was organised for all the delegates. While the others travelled in a large coach, we travelled in a minibus with a couple of the South African ministers. And in fairness, the Women's Coalition delegation members came with us, made that choice. We arrived first, the coach carrying everyone else, passed by on the upper road a number of times before David Trimble, because David Trimble had refused to come down while we were there. To cap it all, the Unionist delegation demanded a separate meeting with the President. This appalled the South African hosts. However, Nelson Mandela, in his own inimitable way, accepted their request. But when he joined them, the first thing he said to the Unionist delegations was that they would not achieve anything by simply talking to their friends. Despite all the difficulties, the Good Friday Agreement was signed. It was indeed an historical breakthrough, which was massively endorsed by the people across Ireland, North and South. Mahu Jerry, Bichin Kohan Samuel. Thanks, Jerry. That was very, very informative and interesting. Just as interesting as a book that I've just finished uh, reading. It's by Bono, the U2 singer. And uh, it's called Surrender. It's a very, very good read. And the U2 singer is a very good writer. He knows how to tell a story, but perhaps we shouldn't be surprised at this because Bono has penned a long string of very good songs. And this is an impressive book. It's made up of 40 short stories. Each is based on a U2 song, but it works well also as a unit as a narrative. I like autobiographies if they're well written, and this one is. It's particularly insightful about the origins of U2, about Bono's relationship with the other band members and with uh, Paul McGuinness, their former manager. And so too about the influence of other lifelong friends and his youthful religious experience. We all need people in our lives who sustain us in good times and also more importantly when times are not so good. And Bono acknowledges this and his own occasional testing of the patience of those closest to him. Ali, Bono's wife, is a constant in his life and a good influence. He acknowledges this also and with some humility. You don't get to be married as long as he has without appreciation of your other half. Ali is undoubtedly a mighty woman. Bono makes this clear. He's lucky to have her. He makes this clear also. He also writes of his mother Iris who died when he was 14 and of the enduring personal effect this had on him even when he didn't always understand it when he was younger. Now in the 60s he can look back with a clearer sense of self-awareness so too with his relationship with his father and how he himself adjusted to parenthood. For me, these personal elements of the book are the most moving, not least because of the candid, fluent way they are written. I also enjoyed the passages where he takes us into the music and songwriting experiences. I'm personally fascinated by how people can create memorable songs, music, and poetry to uplift and take us out of ourselves. Work of the imagination is the essence of art. Music making is a magical process, and you two are wizards at it. 
Bono's work as a, an activist is also chronicled in great detail. He asked questions of himself and of decisions made by him along the way. And I can appreciate the contradictions of some of the choices he made, particularly in efforts to broaden support among world leaders for much-needed measures to help others in the developing world. Surrender sets out the rationale of some of these decisions, not always with the support of his friends or other activists. His answers on other issues, for example, on YouTube moving one of its companies abroad to avoid tax, aren't always as clear. So too with his perceptions about militant Irish Republicans. But in this new era, we will forgive him for that. Surrender is well worth reading. Reading it is no mean achievement. Fair play, Bono. Surrender, 40 songs, one story, is published by Hutchison and Heinemann. And also at this time, as I record this podcast, Mary Lou MacDonald, Octoron, Hen Fein, and last Octoron, Michelle Gilder, Gumbleska, and Michelle O'Neill are in the USA for the St. Patrick's Day's events. St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick's Week is a regular part of the annual calendar for the Irish diaspora everywhere, but especially in North America. Mary Lou and Michelle and Connor Murphy will engage in an extensive round of diplomatic talks with senior political leaders on Capitol Hill. They will brief them on the current situation and attend events with business leaders to promote investment. They will also meet with representatives of Irish America, without whom none of this would be possible. This year is particularly special because it marks the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Irish America and the Clinton administration played a crucial role in helping all of us to achieve that historic event in April 1998. And critically, Irish America and successive US administrations have maintained that commitment in all the years since then. I haven't travelled personally to the US in recent years. However, seven of the most important Irish American organisations have come together to mark 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement and to host an event in New York on April the 3rd to reflect on 25 years of peace and progress. So Richard and I will be there. President Clinton will join with me and our hosts and looking back on those momentous events as well as looking forward to a future in which the promise of the Good Friday Agreement will be fully implemented. And further evidence of Irish America's commitment to Irish reunification is also evident this week in a major advert that has taken that has been taken out by those same Irish American organizations in the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Irish Voice, and the Echo, and the Examiner, and online in the San Francisco Chronicle and LA Times. I note that the Taoiseach and the Tanishta both said this was unhelpful. I'm not really disappointed or surprised by that uh, comment. It's actually in line with what has been Dublin's policy in the USA for as long as I can remember. It's just uh, a pity they didn't get their act together and do what they're supposed to do 
plan for the future, organize a citizens' assembly to start discussing all of these uh, matters. Of course, it's easier just to complain and do nothing. But doing nothing serves no one well. So, Shinai Karja, let's uh, enjoy what's left of the St. Patrick's week festivities. I thought we'd go out with Christy, Christy Moore, and Patrick was a gentleman. Uh, next week, in my little guest spot, we will have our friend Sue Ramsey, who was also part of our team at the castle buildings at Stormont when we, all of us together, all of the parties and the two governments negotiated the Good Friday Agreement. So that, until then, good morning and here we go, Christy. Patrick was a gentleman. Slan, Togobogay, Chiefy May Shivsha. Bob Patrick was a gentleman and he came from decent people. He built a church in Dublin town and on it put a steeple. His father was a Gallagher, his mother was a Grady. His aunt was in the Shocknessy and his uncle was Paul Brady. The Wicklow Hills are very high and so is the Hill of Hot, sir. There's a hill much higher still, much higher nerd and bought, sir. On the top of this high hill, St. Patrick preached a sermon. Drove the frogs into the bogs and banished all the vermin. There's not a mile of Ayrton's Isle where dirty vermin musters. There he put his dear forefoot and he murdered them in clusters. The toads went pop and the snakes went hop, slap dash into the water. The frogs committed suicide to save themselves from slaughter. A thousand thousand reptiles blew, we charmed with sweet discourses. Dined in them in Killaloo and soups in second courses. The small worms running in the grass discussed all the nation down to hell with the holy spell he changed their situation was I but so fortunate as to be back in Munster I'd be found that from that ground I never more would wonster there's St. Patrick planted turf cabbages and praties pigs galore my grandma's store Stockton's winging ladies <laughs> <laughs>